People have asked me what I miss about Abu Dhabi and ECC, and that's one of the things I miss, is leading the congregation in song and worship. What a wonderful privilege it is to lift our voices in worship to God. I know it's kind of old school to, to wave my arms like that. It was old school when I used to do it here when I was here, so, uh, but uh, I love to do it, and the congregation got used to it. So <laughs> anyway, what a blessing it is to be back with you. What a special gift of God's grace it is for us to, uh, to be here for this anniversary celebration, and um, what a tremendous experience it's been. So um, we're just delighted to be here. Before I forget, um, I bring a special word of greetings from Kevin Penman. Uh, many of you will remember that Kevin was the pastor who filled in the gap between when I left or became sick and uh, Pastor Jeremy arrived. And he was God's man for that hour as he stepped in just at the right time. He was ready, he was prepared, the succession plan was in place. And when I got sick, he was able to minister very significantly to the congregation through what was a sad and sorrowful time for us, just leaving, as well as being sick. And uh, God used Kevin. And he wrote to me just the two nights ago to say, please give my greetings to the congregation. So I have done that. Let's pray together again before we look to God's word. Father, we need your word. We need the light that it sheds for our path. We need the wisdom that it gives. We need the revelation of your heart and your love for us. So speak to us now through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it was almost exactly seven years ago, the last week of October 19 or 2015, that I stood right here and told the congregation that I'd been diagnosed with cancer. And uh, that was a hard day. And I could see it was not only hard for me, for us, Esther Ruth and myself, but also I could see tears in the eyes of many in the congregation when I made that announcement. And uh, it was my heart then not just to be sad, but to also minister hope to the congregation even in that time period. And uh, one of the scriptures I used in that message as I continued that day comes from one of my life verses, Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, where Paul writes, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And in that very condensed, concise, succinct statement, we have the answer to two of the most fundamental questions of our existence. Question number one is, what is life for? What's it all about? Why are we here? What, what should we be doing in this life? What's life for? Do we know the answer to that question? The second question that arises is, what comes after? What comes after? If we know the answer, a true answer to those two questions, we can face anything. We can face any challenge. We can go through whatever comes our way. Because we know 
what life is for. And then we have no fear. In fact, we have an expectation for what comes after. Without the answer to both of those questions, we float on a sea of uncertainty, casting about, back and forth, up and down with every wave of circumstance, not knowing what life is for, not knowing what comes after. And that was the challenge to recognize in that crucial hour of my life, did I have the answer to those two questions? And the answer was yes, I did have the answer, the answer given in Scripture, the answer given in this passage. For to me, it's Christ. That's what life is for. What comes after? To die? It's better yet. That's the ultimate win-win for the follower of Christ. We cannot be defeated if we know the answer to those two questions. Now, the reassurance of that verse, especially at that point in my life, was really the focus on the second question, to die is gain. Because at that point, life was uncertain for me. I didn't know how long I had. I still don't, but it's already been longer than I had the expectation of. The doctors were talking two years, three years. There was an uncertainty there. But that verse, first of all, let me know however long life, long life was, short or long, I knew what it was for. And then I had that confidence of what comes after. And so the focus there was on what comes after. But today, I want to go back to that verse and I want to focus on the first part of it. For me to live is Christ. Paul, what does that mean? It's nice and short, makes a good bumper sticker, put it on a plaque, put it into a quilt, hang on the wall. It, it's great, punchy, short, but what does it mean? What does it mean to say, for me to live is Christ? That's the question I want to explore in my message today. I'm using what I would refer to maybe as the helicopter approach today to the book of Philippians. I know typically with expository preaching, my preaching, I would go maybe verse by verse, paragraph by paragraph, and stick within one. But there was always a certain value when I'd completed an exegetical study of a book like Philippians to then step back or, or maybe use the helicopter image to go a little higher and look at a wider text of Scripture. Look at the whole letter of Philippians. And be able to see then, after the study was complete, some of the themes and some of the uh, ideas and the threads that would run throughout the letter. And that's what I'm going to do this morning. I want to imagine, I want you to imagine with me that um, we have the privilege of, of visiting Paul in prison. And uh, we've read this letter, we've come now from Philippi and and now we come in and we see Paul. Paul, you know, you said in your letter to us to live as Christ. What's that mean? And we're going to answer or let Paul answer that question from his own words in the rest of this letter to the Philippians. And the first answer that we find is right here in the immediate context. In fact, in the very next verse. When Paul says to me to live as Christ, it means, first of all, being committed to his cause. Committed to his cause. 
Starting in verse 22 of chapter 1, Paul says, If I am to live in the flesh, this is right after he says, To me to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, here's his answer, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that's far better. But to remain in the flesh, to live, is more necessary on your account. Do you hear what Paul is saying? He says, I'm, I'm torn between the two possibilities. He's facing trial, by the way. He doesn't know whether he's going to live or die. And in facing trial, he says, well, over here, I live, more opportunity to serve Christ. Over here, I die, that's even better. But if I'm to live, it's to serve Christ. It's fruitful labor. It's a chance to honor him and to serve his cause. And we find that Paul here is, or is uh, evaluating everything that he's going through in the uh, context of how will it impact the cause of Christ. In fact, if we look back at verse 12 in the same chapter, chapter 1, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now, that's quite a statement, isn't it? Here I am in prison. And the good thing out of it is that the gospel's gone forward. More things have happened to advance the cause of Christ. And he goes on to say, I rejoice. Even if, if some of them are preaching out of bad motives, uh, that doesn't, well, it's not a good thing, but, but the exciting thing to me is Christ has preached. And I rejoice in that. And so to live as Christ is to be so committed to his cause that, that we evaluate everything that happens to us with the question, how can this advance the gospel? How can this advance the cause of Christ? How can Christ's word and gospel spread? And that was one of the questions I was asking seven years ago as I spent a couple of months in and out of hospital both here and UAE and then back in the States, and then another year in cancer recovery. Lord, is there a way that this can be turned for gospel impact? Is there a way that this can extend or increase the impact of the gospel? And one of the things that came out of my own cancer journey was my first book, When Comes the Storm. Hasn't exactly been a bestseller, but God has used it to encourage people. For example, here's an email I received just a, a week or so ago from a friend. She writes, I've devoured your book, and I'm actually reading it out loud over the phone to my granddaughter, Kayla, who's still in recovery from a two-year battle with cancer. Now, that was my cancer journey seven years ago that's now being used to encourage another fellow believer. And I rejoice in that. I rejoice in that. One of the things I'm hearing indirectly and also directly from Pastor Jeremy with the recent um, crisis they're going through is how is this allowing our church to minister to our community, to have a testimony of Christ's love and power, even as we rebuild along with our neighbors. And I'm told that the uh, church center, the part of it that's still usable, is being used as kind of a, a launching pad for the whole uh, recovery uh, first responders and so on that are there working. And so it's an opportunity for the gospel to go forward. 
And that's what it means for me to live as Christ. How, how can I use this? How can God use this for his kingdom advancement? All right, that's the first one. What else, Paul? What does it mean to live as Christ? Well, it means being, coming, conformed to Christ's image. Paul writes in verses 9 to 11, says, It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That was Paul's prayer for the Philippian church, and I know it was his prayer for himself as well, that he might see his character, his, his life changed for the glory of God. He says also in chapter 2, verse 5, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, and goes on there to expound on the humility of Christ in leaving heaven and coming to earth and then going to the cross. He says, think that way. Be like Christ in your humility. And then he makes it clear that one of his goals in chapter 3, verse 10, he says, that I may know him. That's how we become like Christ, by the way. And the power of his resurrection may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That's the goal of life and what it means when we say to me, to live as Christ, is to become like Christ. In fact, there are a number of places in the New Testament that give character qualities, lists of things we should aspire to or be pursuing in the Christian walk. And you can read every one of those lists as a description of the character of Christ. To be like him. That's the goal. And so that's the next question we can ask ourselves as we go through life's different twists and turns, both the good and the bad the joyful and the painful. And that's the question, how is this shaping me into Christ's image? What are the lessons, the character lessons I need to be learning? What's God trying to teach me? What are the opportunities not only for God to teach me, but for God to display his character, his work in me? Can people see me in a different light when I go through some of these different experiences? to me, to live as Christ, to be like him, to display his character to those around me. The third thing I think Paul might tell us is that to live as Christ means to be comforted by his presence. Turn with me to Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. These are very familiar verses, but I want to unpack them a little bit this, after, this morning. Here's the part we're familiar with. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. It's called a prayer. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Wonderful promises. But what we don't always see, in fact, I didn't see it for many years, is that Paul's sentence or thought here, I don't believe, starts in verse 6. I think there's an unfortunate verse division here. I think Paul's thought, his sentence, really starts in the final phrase of verse 5. 
The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. That goes together, doesn't it? For so many years, I used to try and tie that phrase to the what went before it and never quite fit. I had to kind of twist and try and make something out of it. But when you realize that the verse divisions aren't divinely inspired, they were added much later for the convenience of reference. And if, if they put the verse division just one phrase earlier, in fact, the English Standard Version actually punctuates it that way. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. For me to live as Christ, to recognize that the Lord is at hand, and I don't need to be anxious for anything. And one of the things that I sensed in the darkest hours when I was in the hospital at Tuam here in the line, and the pain was so difficult, I couldn't turn over in bed, let alone get out of bed. And there's nobody around at one or two in the morning. And I couldn't sleep, and I put on some Christian music, some worship music on my computer with the headphones. And the Lord was near. The Lord was at hand. And I felt his presence there. And I felt the comfort of his presence in ways deeper than I had before. And that's what it means. To live is to live with Christ here. To live in his presence here. To recognize that he's at hand here. Yes, we look forward to heaven. That's better yet. The pain's gone then and we're in the visual presence of the Lord. But in the meantime, to live as Christ is to live in his presence and to take comfort from it. A couple more. To live as Christ means to be content in his provision. One of the reasons Paul wrote this letter was to thank the Philippians for a, a gift, presumably a financial gift, that they had sent to him. And in reflecting on that gift, he finds, or we find, some very powerful truths that uh, relate to Paul's attitude towards material things. Chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in every and any circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Content in God's provision. Not only financial, although it starts there, but content in the circumstances, high or low, prosperity or adversity. Lord, you're with me in this. I can be content because I have you. There's something else I want to show you here. The very next verse is a very popular one. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's a great verse, but a lot of silliness has been attached to it <laughs> um, because it's been taken out of context. Let me explain what I mean. That verse, I can do all things through Christ or through him who strengthens me, the word do is not really there. It's not in the original text. 
What the passage actually says, literally, if I translate it, is I can all things through him who strengthens me. And I say, well, that's not a complete sentence. That doesn't make sense. And it doesn't in English. So therefore, the translators have come in. They're going to help us. And they added a word so that we had a complete grammatical statement. So they added the word do, which isn't a bad thing to do. But, but the fact is, it leads us on a, different, on a different path. I can do. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We can't do all things. But that's not the context here. The context is the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can all of these things through Christ who strengthens me. And if I were to add a word, a verb to make it complete, I'd do it this way. I can be content in all circumstances through Christ who strengthens me. That's the secret. That's the secret that Paul wants us to know. That we can be content in all circumstances. Abundance or lack. Plenty or not enough. There's no not enough when Christ is strengthening us. Content in all things through Christ in his provision. And finally, to live as Christ means being confident in hope, confident in hope. The Bible has a lot to say about hope, and we need to understand what the Bible means when it talks about hope. Here's a definition. Hope is a confident expectation of a good outcome and a good future. It's the confidence that our story is going to end well. I don't know if you read stories, read novels, read things, but you get into a good story and everything's up in the air and so on, and you keep saying, how's it going to end? How's it going to end? How's it going to end? And we like happy endings. The Christian life has a happy ending. It has a happy ending in this life, and it has a happy ending throughout all eternity. And that's what Paul says. He says in chapter 1, verse 6, I'm sure of this. There's the confidence that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now this is a, a confidence that has a number of different uh, applications. First of all, there's, there's the application to us as individuals, as those who have been saved by the grace of God, that he's going to complete the work of salvation that he began in us. But there's also here, I think, an expectation, and I think this is probably the primary application here that Paul's saying about the church at Philippi. I'm confident that God's going to finish his work in this congregation and complete his work here as he so desires. I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. So there's both a now kind of hope that something good is going to come out of what we're going through. And that God is going to complete his work in us. And then there's the eternal hope that we have for me to live as Christ and to die as what? Gain. That our story has a happy ending. And when this life is over, it isn't over. It's a beginning. It's a beginning. I remember, I can't remember the book I read it in, the story of uh, uh, two twins in the womb. And one of them says to the other, do you think there's life after birth? 
Well, that's our expectation, isn't it? Do you think there's life after death? Wow. And I think our experience of eternity with the Lord will be as expansive as as those twins being born into a, a world of life and light and color. That's our hope, confident in hope. To me, to live is Christ. To die, that's better yet. So those are the five answers that I think Paul would give us in answer to our question. What does it mean when we say to live is Christ? But then I think Paul would, would be quick to add a couple of further words of instruction that he wants us to know. And one of the things he'd tell us is that to live is Christ and it's a journey. It's not a destination as so much as it is a direction of travel. And I know he says that because he does say it in chapter 3, beginning with verse 13. He says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, that I've finished it. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's the Apostle Paul speaking. Now, most of us, we'd say, boy, I'd, I'd like to be the Apostle Paul. Maybe not in prison, but the kind of person he was. And yet Paul says, I'm not there yet. I haven't arrived. I haven't finished my journey. But I have this perspective that I forget what lies behind and I press forward. And one of the greatest dangers, I believe, to the Christian faith, to the Christian walk, is the danger of complacency of getting to a point where we think, ah, okay, I've, I've got it figured out. I know how to do this. And we stop pressing forward. We stop advancing in the Christian journey. And that's what Paul's telling us here. I haven't, I haven't arrived yet. I haven't made it yet. So whether we're new in the faith, or have walked in the faith for many years, whether we've done it for six months or six years or 60 years. The challenge is still the same. I've not made it my own, but I forget what lies behind, and I press on towards that completion. And then I think there's another thing that Paul would say in cautioning us about this uh, journey, what he's written, and that is that it is a journey but it's not and was never intended to be a solitary journey. And there's a theme that runs right through the book of Philippians. And uh, I think sometimes we miss it because it's so uh, kind of woven into the fabric of it. In fact, when I preached through the book of Philippians the last time here, I don't know, 10 years ago, um, I came to the conclusion that this was the primary theme of the book of Philippians. And it is the importance and power of something I call Christian witness. Now, I'm not uh, lisping there. I'm saying it the way I want to say it. Christian witness. Now, why do I say it that way? Well, it's the power of togetherness that we're to do all these things with 
other believers who share in this same journey, this same commitment. And there's a number of ways to trace that through Paul's letter here. The one is the use of the word koinonia. Now, I know if you've been around churches and preachers very long, you've heard that word, um, koinonia, fellowship. And it's a great biblical word. It comes from the word for common, to hold something in common. And we translate it fellowship, partnership, companionship, and a number of different ways. And that word occurs uh, four times in the book of Philippians. But secondly, and I think this was, was what I discovered that was even more powerful, and it's Paul's use of the little word soon, Greek word soon, which is the Greek word with, little preposition, with. And it's found four times in, by itself, but even more telling than that is its fact it's used in compound words ten more times. It's used in such words as fellow soldier, a with soldier, fellow worker, a with worker, true companion, a with companion. And when you see that just running through the whole text of the letter, you begin to understand how important this theme of fellowship or partnership was to Paul and the gospel and the Christian journey. Look where he starts in the very opening words of the letter, chapter 1, verse 5. He says, I thank my God and all of my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership, there's the word koinonia, in the gospel from the first day until now. So Paul says, this is one of the things that gives me joy and informs my prayers is that you and I have been in partnership, in withness, together in the gospel. He goes on in verse 7, says, It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. And in that phrase, partners with me, he kind of dumps it all together. This is the word koinonia with the word soon mixed with it, a with partnership. It's a double emphasis of this togetherness that he experienced in the partnership with the Philippian believers. In chapter 1, verse 27, Paul makes reference to the same theme. He says there, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit. Now notice this. With one mind striving together, or excuse me, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. That's an interesting uh, use of these words. It's the word athleo, which we get our word athletics from, plus the word soon, with. Uh, a, a with teammate striving together for the faith of the gospel. And then in chapter 2, Paul makes reference to a man named Timothy in verse 22. He says, but you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. And then Paul talks about another man by the name of Epaphroditus in verse 25. He calls him my brother, my with worker, fellow worker, my with soldier, my fellow soldier. 
And the book of Philippians is just full of these references to togetherness, to witness, and to being engaged shoulder to shoulder with other people of faith, fellow soldiers, fellow workers, partners in the ministry. The Christian journey was never intended to be a solitary journey. It's to be a journey undertaken with people of like mind, like faith, and like commitment. There's a saying, you sometimes hear it on TV when they do some ridiculous stunt that's full of danger, and they'll say, don't try this at home. And uh, I would paraphrase that for us as Christians, don't try this alone. Don't try this alone. You'll never make it. We need each other in the walk of faith. And I know through COVID, that's been a challenge, hasn't it? One of the things COVID did was isolate us, shut us down in our apartments, our flats. And that was hard at first, and then maybe we got lazy and thought, this is okay. <laughs> uh, I don't mind this. It's quiet and it's calm, and I can watch TV and, and have my service and, and eat snacks while I'm doing it. And um, that's not the picture of the Christian life portrayed in the Scripture by the Apostle Paul. It's a with life, a life of partnership with others of faith. And I know that's a strong emphasis, and I commend Pastor Aubrey and the other members of the elders and the staff for their commitment to now that COVID is over, to drawing the church back together and engaging with one another once again in the journey of faith. For to me, to live is Christ. I trust this message has given you a fuller understanding of what those simple words mean. That's what life is for. It's for Christ. And we can live for Christ anywhere, in any circumstance. You can live, as I discovered, for Christ in a hospital bed. You can live for Christ in a prison cell. You can live for Christ in an office. You can live for Christ in your family. For me to live is Christ. And the alternative? To die? Better yet. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the salvation that's ours in Christ. And thank you for brothers and sisters who share the journey of faith together with us that we might grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that we might become the men, the women, the boys and girls that you want us to become, even as we wait with confident expectation that we will be with you in eternity when this life is over. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.